Here we are. I'm Guy. I'm Chip. This is Shellac and Vinyl. We're here for a new show, and we're going to be doing something entirely different tonight. First off, we have a plan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which is as... I you, know that'll really disturb a lot of our listeners. The 13 of them that have listened regularly for the first 47, 47 episodes know that we never have a plan. Well, that is out the window. Tonight, we have a plan. What we're going to do tonight is an entirely different thing. We're going to do a career retrospective for one of my favorite artists in the jazz idiom a career retrospective a, a career retrospective does that mean we might hear numerous uh songs by, a, by the same artist as i've planned this out we're gonna hear i'm counting <laughs> them which is 21 songs by it's 21 songs on which this artist plays oh Starting. I misunderstood the plan from before, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I don't know. What I thought that... it was going to be kind of a spider web of, of songs connected to this artist. No, no, but we no, are. This will be. This will be. We will be hearing this artist in every tune played. It's a legitimate career retrospective from awesome. from nearly the beginning till nearly the end. Okay. Yeah, and it's a short. I mean, he had a short career. That's but, unfortunate. Well. He's like one of these guys like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, except he was the jazz, one of the jazz equivalents of that. I see. Yeah. So is and will we leave it till the end for our listeners to guess who it is? No, we're going to tell them now. This artist was named Serge Chaliff. Serge was... Tell me about Serge. Serge was a, a native of Boston. Born in... I'm going to get, get some of my notes out here. I got notes and everything now, man. I gotta he find him. He sound Irish. He wasn't from the Irish section of Boston. He he was part. His dad was Russian, and his mom was, I think, basically just European. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, born on November twenty four, nineteen twenty three. That's a long time ago. It is. He died in 1957, a year before I was born. My gosh! And, and yet you still found him. It, and there's a that I'll I'll discuss that a little bit. But I think <laughs> what we should do is we should start. We should say that uh, he was born in Boston. His dad was a was a, a a composer had had emigrated to the United States from Russia and was a composer and a conductor in the Boston area and in fact recorded uh, himself some classical music. His mom was originally a student of his father's. Uh, uh, That's not allowed today. It's true. But <laughs> she ended up being a, an, a piano instructor at the New England Conservatory of Music, which later became the Berkeley School of Music. Mm. They were a fairly well-off family. Serge was a prodigy. He uh, began playing clarinet and then moved to, to saxophones and eventually found the Barry sax. Uh, he played in a number of bands in the early 40s uh, late I think he began playing in bands in the late 30s when he was like 16 years old uh, played in a number of bands um, that you really hadn't heard of and his his first real recording uh, recorded career started with a band called the Boyd Rayburn band and Boyd Rayburn was um, a big band leader in the 40s who had uh, he he kind of was on the cutting edge of bop bebop, uh, but but orchestrated it for a big band. 
Uh, what we'd like to do to start off the, the evening is, or to start off the show, is to play, get my notes out, March of the Boyds by Boyd Ro Rayburn's Orchestra, uh, recorded January 27, 1945 in New York City. With Serge Jalif on the berry. Serge on the berry. You're not going to hear Serge directly, but also in this band, uh, there were some fairly big names. Shelly Mann was the drummer. Dizzy Gillespie was on trumpet, and Ooh. Dizzy Gillespie, you know who Dizzy <laughs> Gillespie, and Art Cohn, remember that name, yeah. Art Cohn was on tenor sax. Here we go. <laughs> So Serge played with Boyd Rayburn into uh, late 45, and uh, then he was gigging around town. He got a job with the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra. He played on um, a number of their records, and uh, he wasn't with them for all that long. I've got one selection chosen that, that he played on called Perdido. It's kind of a, a jazz standard. I'm sure you've probably heard it somewhere. Herb Ellis happened to be on this record, a famous guitarist uh, who was in the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra in 1940, uh, 1946, February 6th in New York City. ¶¶ 
Serge, so Serge played with Jimmy Dorsey for just a few months in 1946. Uh, he had um, began gigging with Georgie Ald, the tenor sax player that uh, had been in the Benny Goodman Orchestra in the earlier 40s, late 30s. Uh, and he he continued to play with Georgie Ald throughout a good portion of 45 and into 46. He Georgie Ald uh, couldn't necessarily keep a band employed full-time, so whenever he had gigs or he had uh, recording sessions, he would make the call out and the regular group, the, the quintet, octet, whatever he wanted to be, he, they would assemble, and Serge was one of those guys. This uh, this song that I'm going to play now was from a recording session from April 30th, 1946, for George Yald and his orchestra, and it, uh, it's the first evidence I can find, and I've gone through all my many, many Serge Chalif records to, to where I could actually pick out where Serge was playing. At, at a minute and 58 of this song, out of it's a, it's a two minute and 47 second song, but at a minute and 58, Serge has about a, a four a four bar, even you know one one stanza, not a stanza. It's like f- like one b- one bar four yeah, a four four, four yeah four yeah. bars yeah of of a, of a run where you can tell it's a little different of a sax than the tenor that Georgie Ald, and Georgie Ald is a great tenor sax player, but you can definitely hear the 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 Surge the Surge style of playing. Now the thing about Surge's technique was So while Guy finishes his comments, go get your stopwatch. <laughs> so when you get to one fifty eight, you hear it. The Surge Surge had a real light he most Barry players play in lower register and, and that's where they mostly hang out. Serge though played it like an alto sax or a, or or a tenor sax. He played high, and and you can hear it. You can hear the Barry sax sound, but it doesn't sound necessarily like a Barry sax, like you know that low low sound. But anyway, let's give it a try. <laughs>
Were you listening? I was. Did you hear it at 158? I did. It was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice little treat. Yeah, it's just a, like one bar of, of Surge doing like some crazy fill. All right. Well, so at the, by this point, he Surge was still playing with, with George Yald off, off and on. Ald. Uh, but by by late 46, he was actually playing in small combos that were recording for independent labels. Uh, he and he one of those was a, a dial session out of Cal- Hollywood, California, where he played with a bunch of guys, uh, Sonny Berman. Let's see who else? Let's see who else. Well, Sonny Berman. <laughs> and company yeah this one though was this this song that I'm going to play next it's a two-parter it's 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 really weird how they released it Dial was this Los Angeles 78 company that record company that that did a lot of uh, Charlie Parker releases uh, after Charlie Parker came out and lived in Los Angeles for a little while a guy named Russell uh, Ross Russell I think was the owner of it and and um, it was a lot of bop guys recording. Previous stuff was New York, yes. Yeah, it was all New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no Boston. No, no. <laughs> there'll be some Boston stuff later. Okay. Uh, but this was at the end of a session, and it was the very the very first session that that was really Serge's group. Uh, you know, like they go in and they record four songs or something during a day. And after all the other players left, except for the rhythm section and Surge, they they did a they did Surge's first record as a leader. It was called the. Oh, Sur- so he he was a leader of this particular quintet. of this of this quintet. This is where he starts being a leader. The Surge Chaliff Ralph Burns Quintet, and it was recorded on September 21, 1946, in Hollywood. The name of this song is. Blue Surge, and it comes in two parts. Thank you. 
So I did a little checking on the in the book while we were listening to those two songs, or one song on two parts. The other guys in that session, besides Sonny Berman, who was a great trumpet player that 
that died of a heroin overdose and Surge was alleged to have had something to do with it. Uh, but other than other than Sonny Berman, how dare you soil Bill Surge's <laughs> legacy in the show dedicated to him? Well, it's part of his. That's part of the the deal. Ah. Uh, Bill Harris on trombone, Flip Phillips on uh, tenor sax. Those were fairly big names at the time. And what's interesting about those guys is that they they were part of Woody Herman's band at the time. The first herd is what it's called. And that's significant because Serge in 47 joined the Woody Herman second herd. And we're going to hear some of that stuff in just a little bit, but it's just, you know, I wanted to follow up on that. It's interesting. About this time, Serge kind of fell into heroin addiction, maybe a little earlier than this. And, and it, uh, it affected his his life for several years, uh, probably all the way up till like 50, 1955. He he was a, a hardcore heroin junkie, and I mean I've read I read his biography. I've read books about Woody Herman's band, and from all accounts, he was not just a junkie, but he was like a Pied Piper for other junkies. He would get young other young players hooked and then they'd be heroin junkies and a lot of them several of them died he fortunately did not he did not die of a heroin overdose he died young but that's a story i'll tell later (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but i mean the crazy thing about it is is that during all of his time of an addiction he was just this incredible player this 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 technique that he'd established as early as 19 47 he was only 24 years old at the time or 23 years old when when this was recorded so can you i mean just imagine how how good he was i mean amazingly what good anyway um i was first turned on to surge probably about in your heroin days not in my heroin days. No, no, that, uh, that there's never been such a time. But, uh, you know, I, I've, anybody who listens to this show on more than just a, a one-time basis knows that I, I um, like jazz and I like jazz saxophone players. And, and I uh, used to go to, back before there was CDs and, you know, digital streaming and all that I, I used to I used to go to the library and I would check out records and record them onto uh, cassette tapes this was I mean we're talking like mid 90s you know early 90s they okay you're looking 90s. at me like early 90s so oh, so oh, so I had gone back to childhood when you had the, the little the little tape recorder. Oh no 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 no! You don't like. The stereo and push the uh, yeah, no, I was still kind of in the in the. So this was you played through the stereo and recorded it through the stereo because modern technology of the nineties. Uh yeah, well I mean probably it was more like modern technology of the late seventies and eighties that I was still using. Okay. <laughs> I, I I you know there was no search child of CDs at the time. I mean right. they're just there were I mean this guy who you know right. <laughs> I pick. I went to the Kitsap Regional Library, which is Kitsap County, is where I lived. You know, of course, until about fifteen years ago, and which is you know Bremerton, and I would go across the water, across the water by ferry or driving, 
You can't drive on the water. You can drive around. But, but I, I, I've picked up this one LP, and it was called... It was called Neglected Jazz Figures of the 50s and early 1960s. And it was um, released on this company called New World Records, which is kind of like scholastic for adults, I think. Because it was all these, you know, it's like basically documentary type music. They, they would educate people who were listening. You know, you, you get a double record with, with t- tons of liner notes. And, you know, you could find out about all these people that, you, that I had at the point had never heard of. So so when I put the the needle down on the record and I heard this this one song by Serge it it was I it was just a revelation was, and I'll play it later it's um it's been it's called Body and Soul and it's a, it was Coleman Hawkins is the the one who played it and became, made it famous uh but but the way that Serge Chalif played it in 1956 55 it it's i mean it just cut into my soul and and you'll hear you'll hear it it's been recognized by jazz critics as kind of one of the the most intense intense versions of the song that there exists anyway what but that's you know maybe 45 minutes from now fair enough all right so so by early 47, Serge had left Hollywood. He was back in New York City gigging around. And there was um, a lot of these guys would play in each other's groups. There would be a recording session, and let's say Serge had a recording session, and he would call these five guys, and they'd come, and they'd play. And then one of the guys he called might have been a trumpet player. And the trumpet player would have a recording session a month later, and he'd call five guys and be the same five guys. So they, But it would be he'd be the leader. So this particular recording was was done in um, January of 1947 in New York City by a trumpet player named Red Rodney. And Red Rodney also was a member of the Woody Herman group at one point in the second herd, also became a heroin junkie, but he was also recognized as this incredible trumpet player. And he lived quite a long time. I don't, I don't think he died late 90s, early early 2000s so he kind of got got out of the the well let's say <laughs> anyway let's we're, we're going to hear the red Rob, red rodney's beboppers doing fine and dandy recorded in january 
months later, in uh, March of 1947, as I was mentioning, Serge wanted to do a, a, a recording gig, and so he called around these guys that he knew, including Red Rodney, and uh, the same drummer that was just on that last cut, and a guy named Tiny Khan, and they put together a little, uh, like a sextet, and we're going to hear two cuts from this March 5, 1947 recording date uh, the Serge Chaliff's All-Stars. Uh, the first one is Serge Chaliff's All-Stars. For some reason, the second one was Mark, uh, was issued as Serge and his Bebop buddies. But the same people, same recording <laughs> session. And Serge used uh, several times a play on his name, Serge. Uh, it also has a sewing connotation. And this song is called Gabardine and Serge. And the next one is... Oh, I didn't even write it down, but I got it right here. A bar a second. Let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
Anybody's tuning into our show for the first time, they're probably not clear on the parameters of our show. Shellac and vinyl, we play stuff from our personal collections, mostly mine, but sometimes yours. <laughs> I don't think you don't have any Serge Chaliff to, I don't have to any share Serge here. Chaliff. Had you ever heard of Serge Chaliff before? I had not. All right. Uh, but the idea is we play. 78s and we and sometimes we have a hard time finding the right 78s to play on it, not tonight not tonight because i've collected many many of surge's 78s um anyway and then we play 45s lps all right but and, and you know we might get some different listeners this time because this is a devoted only to jazz whereas our regular shows maybe we play one or two songs of jazz at the most yeah except for the christmas jazz show Shout out to Neil McDonald. Neil McDonald. Father of one of my co-workers who is a jazz pianist. Oh, does he listen to our show? He uh, listened to the Christmas show and liked some of the jazz we played. Some of the jazz. Yeah. Well, you know, jazz is t- tricky. Well, we didn't play a lot of jazz for the Christmas show. But... No. Oh, well, we had a follow-up to the Christmas. Was it Was it all jazz follow-up? The Christmas jazz oh, show? Oh, we liked that a lot. Yeah, well, that was the Christmas jazz show. It was the Christmas all jazz. jazz show. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he liked that a lot. All right. Well, good. Uh, so he'll see, enjoy this. See, there's, there's, a, there's a listenership there, despite your protestations. <laughs> uh, anyway, Serge. One must ask, when does jazz turn into swing? Well, okay, that's in uh, that, that swing has elements of jazz. <laughs> I, I don't think you can necessarily just make a bright line and say that's swing, that's jazz. I mean, you know, because a lot of the swing bands, I think Woody Herman was a swing band, and Woody Herman has a lot of jazz, as we're going to be hearing. We're going to play some, some Woody Herman coming up next. Uh, but swing was for dancing, jazz. Was for listening. Was mostly for listening <laughs> after swing, but before swing, jazz was like for dancing, but also for listening. I mean, you know, it's like the early, the early jazz players like Louis Armstrong and uh, you know Johnny Dodds and people like that. They they the idea was to get people to to dance mostly, but but you know they wanted people to listen to it too. And those guys were pyrotechnic, technically savvy. Swing players were too, but the idea with swing is more orchestrated and, and less, the, the opportunities for improvisation were less because they wanted to keep people dancing. In about the late 40s, swing bands started going out of style and, and kind of a more bebop influence. There's our dog. A bebop influenced jazz style became popular. And then it, it kind of transitioned from the East Coast to the West Coast. And you'll get this kind of this, you'll hear of West Coast cool. Um, and that has a, a lot of the kind of the sound of of Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. You know, you've heard that album. Sure. That, that and a Dave, Dave, no, not, not, not so much. That's more kind of like rhythm and blues. But, but, but Jerry Mulligan, uh, you know, um, Stan Getz had a lot of that West Coast cool, but Stan Getz came out of the Woody Herman band too, so it's it's they they were it's all kind of mixed up to together. Woody yeah, Woody Herman was uh, he he was uh, he gave an, a lot a lot of opportunities to a lot of jazz players. Buddy Rich was in his band. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, so I wanted to. So Serge is in New York. See, Serge was in Calls New York. Up a session on March five. Gigging around, right? Gigging around, Besides doing. To name two different bands in the same session. Yeah, Same yeah. I don't think he decided that. He, these were both on the Savoy label. I, I don't, I don't think he probably had control over what was so on what the label. What do you know about these sessions? I mean, is it just like, you know, uh, just in intensely talented musicians, and they just like go, or do they play the same song over and over until they get a good take? Well, what do you know? What I know is that there's three different versions of Gabardine and Surge. I've got an LP with all three different versions. Same recording session? Same recording session. Okay. And so, so they clearly played it more than once. They played it more than once. They might have had a few rehearsals at a, at a bar, you know, <laughs> at, at, at uh, you know, some place. Uh, you know, every in, in that time, you know, every every block of New York City in Manhattan, they had, there was a jazz bar and dives in Harlem and, you know, these, everybody was playing jazz. So you know they probably had a few woodshed sessions where they'd get together. Hey, let's let's you know work up this song, and then somebody was able to to garner a recording session, and they said, come on, let's go do it, and probably you know they on tape. They probably cut right to disc. 
in that day they probably cut right to the 78 anyway so so you know we're we were where we were left off was march of 1947 and um the post-war years that's right that's right it's still kind of a comeback from from world war ii people are still living high and the economy was humping georgie ald called again and and although there are no recording sessions of surge from March 5th, 1947 to October of 1947 when he, after he, after Serge joined Woody Herman's band, he had been playing with Georgie Ald and they went on tour clear out to the Midwest. He was playing all over New York City, Milwaukee, you know, all points in between. And apparently he was making quite a sensation for himself. He was, as we can tell just by listening to these records, the guy was incredibly talented. Woody Herman called. And Woody Herman, you know, had this, he had, he had disbanded his first herd and had put together a new band, the second herd. And, and Woody's in California. Well, Woody's all around. I mean, I think he lived on the road, basically. <laughs> Woody lived on the road. Okay. Um, I mean, he did spend time in, I mean, he, he, I guess maybe his base of operations was probably Los Angeles, but they were constantly on tour, which was part of the problem for Surge because... What do you do when you're traveling, you know, 500 miles a night? You're going to get high, right? So he did that a lot. But he, he joined up with um, Woody Herman. His first recording session with Woody Herman was October 19th in 1947. He became a sensation with Woody Herman's band nationwide to the extent that, you know, jazz players had a nationwide reputation. There was, um, you may have heard of this song called The Four Brothers. It's, it's kind of legendary in in jazz, in the jazz world. It it put Woody Herman put together a a sax section, a sax session for the ages. It had um, Herbie Stewart on tenor sax, Stan Getz on tenor sax, Zoot Sims on tenor sax and then um, and then Serge on Barry. And they had a they had a an arrangement of a song called Four Brothers by the arrangement was done by Jimmy Jufre, and who was also another tenor sax player who later became part of the second herd. I mean, but that's, you know, kind of tangential. I mean, they're all dealing with each other at this point. Uh, but this song had this harmonic use of the instruments together that was uh, groundbreaking for the time. It may sound quaint now, but, but at the time it was, it was just something completely new and this we're going to play four brothers from the woody herman orchestra recorded on december 27 
So you can kind of imagine that the four brothers, and you can kind of imagine having having heard that 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 was kind of groundbreaking for its time. The 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 different saxes all playing in unison, but also you know in different parts. Um, and it's what I find just listening to that to just now, and I've listened to it you know many times that. The different tones that all the different tenor sax players had. You can you can pick out Stan Getz, and certainly you can pick out Serge. But you know, but you can definitely tell the difference between Herbie Stewart and Zoot Sims on there too. I don't know who's who, but they definitely sound different than Stan Getz. Anyway, who was that one at the end doing the serious octaves? The trumpet player. That was a trumpet at the end? Oh, I don't know. The, at the very end, that was... like a sax doing the high, super high register. Uh, it might have been... It might have... I don't know. At one point, there was Woody Herman playing clarinet. Could have been clarinet. Okay. I mean, there was... Shorty Rogers is in that band, and he was doing the sky-high stuff on the trumpet. And then you could hear at the very... The very last little break, solo break, was by Serge there before they came together and did the, the harmonic thing at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, this is kind of interesting. This was That was recorded on December 27, 1947, and, and it caused a sensation. But the problem was that as of January 1, 1948, the Musicians Union head called a strike because uh, a, a strike of all the musicians so that there would be no more recording because they, they the guy was mad that radio stations weren't employing full bands they were they were playing records instead of employing full bands in the studio and so uh-huh. that the, the the chief of the unions the what do you call it Rick? the transition from live radio studio bands yeah. to playing the records and the guy thought that that because they weren't employing the full bands in the studios anymore, that it was causing 
musicians to to lose money, which was, I mean, maybe that's why they put sure, together that's ASCAP, true. but that's probably why they put together ASCAP and BMI ultimately. But un- unfortunately, it it kind of took the wind out of the sails of of the second herd and and this new sensation, this new band that Woody Herman had put together, because there were no more records to to play, and it went on for a full year. Mm. Now. It didn't. That didn't mean that that the band broke up. They just went on tour. And since since then, there have been lots of issues of radio transcriptions of from the Armed Forces Radio Services. Uh, even in the, the late forties, the Armed Forces Radio Services would. Is that right? Yeah, Armed Forces. Yeah, recording services. Armed Forces recording. Yeah, that's what I said. Recording services would would. Uh, play these shows live and then I guess they'd make a recording of it and then a lot of companies I don't know how they plundered these these radio uh, transcripts later but I mean I've got I've got two that we're going to play here one right away and then one later from this um, so that we have evidence of what was going on in 1948 for the Woody Herman band um Serge became one of the fe- featured artists. I mean, he was he was a star. Um, he's still strung out on heroin a lot of the times, <laughs> but he was a star. Uh, one of the features, one of the, his one of his featured songs was called "The Goof and I," and he continued to play various versions. Barrett has got a lot of barking going on tonight. Bear's excited for Serge. Yeah, for Serge, for sure. Um, Anyway, the goof and I was uh, something that that Serge returned to over and over again for the remainder of his career, which wasn't all that long, really. But uh, but it was it was a great song. So we're gonna play it. We're gonna it's, uh, Armed Forces Radio recording. This was an Armed Forces Recording Services recording from March 7, 1948, at the Hollywood Palladium. Generally, the same band as as was on the Four Brothers Band, although Al Cohn, remember that name, replaced Herbie Stewart on tenor sax. And um, so here we go. Thank you. 
棒就六六六，有没有棒就六六六，棒棒啊啊，棒棒就没有棒，棒棒就没有就棒棒就棒就六六六，有没有棒就六六六，棒棒啊啊啊，棒棒六六六。That was the Woody Herman band doing Lemon Drop after the recording band had lifted in March 19... Oh, let me see. 49. December 29, 1948. Oh. So it just that was the first recording session back after the, the strike had done, had been over. Uh, that was Terry Gibbs, another famous vibist um, that you heard playing vibes and Shorty Rogers, trumpet player, Chubby Jackson, bass player, and Terry Gibbs doing the uh, the bop vocals on that. Uh, Red Rodney was on that. And on the previous song, I, I didn't mention The Goof and I was written by Al Cohn, who seems to always have some sort of presence in Serge Chaliff's life or career until, and very, until the very end, actually. Mm. All right, so... He, as as uh, Serge continued playing with Woody Herman, he was also from time to time doing small gigs, small recording sessions. And this next one is um, a song called Bopscotch on a small little label called Futurama. And it has Al Cohen, surprisingly, uh, on Shocking. it. Tenor sax. Red Rodney, 
surprising on trumpet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terry Gibbs vibes on it. Uh, Oscar Pettiford, very famous bass player. And uh, Denzel Best on drums. And, and interestingly, a woman named Barbara Carroll was the piano player on this next version, uh, next song called Bob Scotch. A lot of these songs were written by Serge Chaliff. This one, in fact, was written by Serge. Thank you. 
concludes our 78 portion of the show tonight. That's the last 78 we'll play. You can probably tell I've fallen down the Serge Shalev rabbit hole a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of these, this is... Uh, I really like that one. This was called Pat, and it had... Uh, it was a very small group. It had only um, Charlie uh, Mariano on alto sax, Serge Chalif on baritone sax, Gail, I can't read, Gail Pretty on trumpet, um, Ralph Burns on piano, and Mark Goodspeed on trombone. These were local Boston guys. Uh, the first song, Bob Scotch, that was done in March, in, and that was recorded in 19, uh, March of 1949. This was recorded in April. He decamped, Serge had decamped up to Boston, apparently, and um, had found himself with this group of guys. Charlie Mariano was very young at the time, but I'm sure you've heard of his name. He became quite famous later as a, an alto sax jazz I could player. Take it, but no. Okay. Well, I, we can play him sometime, too. We could do a deep dive on Charlie Mariano. I got plenty of his records, too. Um, you know, it's a little weird. I don't, I, you know, I've become, uh, although it may not be very apparent to, to listeners, but I've, I've accumulated a lot of information about Serge Chalif. And no, I don't think anyone would suspect that. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got I've got records that he that he played, you know, as a sideman into this time. I mean, you know, he played as a sideman for Buddy DeFranco in in 1949, and you know, he was I think he was just gigging where he could gig to get money to buy heroin, you know. Uh, but he's on record a lot. Uh, you know, he was kind of a wreck. Uh, I I said his parents were were both incredible musicians. I didn't say that, but they were. And they were wealthy, and he, and he, time and time again, would find himself in trouble somewhere. And he'd be like, okay, I, I, need, I need you to send me money so I can get home or buy something. And I, his mom would bail him out time and time again. You know, I guess that's what moms do. But he, he ultimately, he, well, I'll talk about this in a little while, but he, he, um, found himself on the west coast without any money and and uh couldn't get any couldn't score any drugs and he, he I, I guess he was still i was in he's in boston he checked himself into a rehab hospital and finally kicked after a while but but we're not there yet in the story he was he was still <laughs> causing a lot of trouble for woody herman he was woody herman put up with him because he was so good but but he he became very disenchanted and particularly since he got half his band hooked on heroin. Um, this next song, this next song I'm going to play is, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's another one of these radio transcription uh, releases, although this, this was recorded after the recording band had lifted. It's a recording of a California concert in um, the Shrine Auditorium in August, 1949. What's really cool about this is this, this was a, a featured a featured song for Serge that they never made a proper recording of. They never went into like Columbia Studios or Capitol Studios and laid it down, you know, in a recording session. This is the only version that I have of this song. It's called Man Don't Be Ridiculous and it's like I said, it was a it was a Serge feature. Basically it's Serge's song. 
We'd like to do a tune that was written especially for Serge Shalloff by Shorty Rogers. It's called Man Don't Be Ridiculous from the Picture Frame. We'd like to do it now, all right? Zee, zee. <laughs> fingers huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's an incredible technique uh that was in august 1949 by the end of the year woody herman had disbanded his band he'd uh, he'd had enough for at least for the short term he reconstituted a new group the third herd the third herd within another <laughs> year but but surge had nothing he didn't have anything to do with surge after that uh, Serge was, as I said before that last song, he was in, a, in the throes of his addiction, and uh, he he didn't really record an awful lot. He he was every for for a number of years he was the the fan poll winner in the jazz baritone sax section, you know, for these fan votes. Metronome magazine, he was annually uh, the, the the best or the favorite jazz baritone player baritone sax player, downbeat, uh, and he had plenty of um, plenty of recordings uh, mm. for these all-star groups where he was just part of the group. 
Uh, and I have, you know, I have several of those. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I found another one over at Easy Street in the three for 10 pile. There was a recording of a December 25, 1949 Stars of Modern Jazz concert where Serge was part of the all-star group. That band included Miles Davis and Bud Powell and Sonny Stitt. So it was a pretty, pretty uh, star-studded event. And, you, and he sounded good, but he's not featured. So, you know, we could bore everybody with every little wormhole, <laughs> every little wormhole song that there, there exists of Serge, but we don't want to do that. In um, 1950, he, he hooked up with um, Count Basie had, had shrunk his group. He, times were tough for big bands, and we talked about the difference between swing and, and jazz, and, and Basie uh, kind of always straddled the two together. But, but uh, swing orchestras found it tough sledding. There wasn't enough money to pay a group that had like 20 people in it. So Basie contracted his band down to an octet, and he actually gave Serge a job and they did a four-song recording session in uh, in May of 1950. We're not going to play any from that. There, I mean, it was he, you could hear him in a couple breaks, but nothing nothing like devoted purely to Surge like we've been listening to. So he took a break. 1952, 1953, he just stopped playing, and he just was a junkie. Um, sad. Sad, yeah. Uh, but but he got himself back together and he got a group together. Um, he put together a group that was playing around Boston and and there was a a Boston alto sax player called Boots named Boots Masulli who'd who'd been part of uh, Stan Kenton's group and and he seemed to have his his act together and I think people might have taken a chance on Surge because they knew that Boots would look after him and they put together this. The, the Serge Chaliff and Boots Masulli group, and they recorded two EPs at the Storyville Jazz Club in Boston. And then they those two EPs were later combined into a into one LP. Which is in your hand. Which is in my hand. <laughs> and we're gonna play two selections from this, but they're actually from from different uh, different recording sessions there was first one recording session and then several months went by and then there was another recording session the first one was done in march of 1954 and the second was in september of 1954 first song we're going to play is called easy street and it's a ballad and just as a foreshadow just kind of pay attention to the style of of his technique in this ballad and we'll compare it to to later to later stuff, uh, including body and soul, and you can just kind of see how everything changed. The second song we'll play is a song that um, was composed by a young pianist prodigy named Dick Twardzik, another Boston guy who I think at the time of this recording was 21 years old, and uh, he'd been he'd been a non-user. He hung start he started hanging out with with Serge and started using heroin. Uh, he went on tour with Chet Baker in Europe and died of a heroin overdose shortly, you know, within a year or two after this. Uh, it's, it's filled with sad stories. These guys just had immense talent, and, and heroin just seemed to be everywhere for these guys. But anyway, we're going to play Easy Street, which is 
apropos, apropos, because we live, I live, you know, a block away from the record store, Easy Street. And then we're going to play The Fable of Mabel. Thank you. 
Yeah, it had a lot going on. Yeah. It, it heralded free jazz. It had some elements of bop. It had a lot of orchestra, orchestral maneuvers in there. It, it's a small group. It's um, I was wrong. That, that second so, that second group, the September uh, recording session, didn't have Boots Masoli. It had Charlie Mariano on it. But uh, I want to well, I want to give Charlie want to give Charlie his his due. You know. <laughs> But it's a small group, and that really had a big sound. It had, let me see, 
Herb Pomeroy, trumpet. Charlie Mariano, alto. Serge Chalif, baritone. Dick Torzik, the author, a composer, piano. And then a bassist and a drummer who we've never heard of. Uh, but it, there was a lot going on. Very complex. I think it was very creatively forward for the time. Yeah. Let's see. But what's really what's really interesting to me is that I had mentioned it earlier that um, that Serge ran out of money and couldn't score, so he had to call his mom or something to come and get him. He, he checked himself into um, a drug rehab uh, hospital. That was in October, just a month after this. So it's just it's incredible how well he could function as an addict. Anyway, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a very sad story um, because he went into rehab and he came out after three and a half months and he was clean for the first time in ten years. He put together a group, which included. Boots Maselli this time, and uh, got together. Uh, they gigged around Boston, and um, went down to New York. And they, with all those rehearsals under their belt, they cut a cut a record called Boston Blow Up. And um, this is the song that was the very first song that I ever heard of Boots. I mean, of of Serge Chalif on the neglected. Jazz figures of the 1950s and early 1960s. This is it. This we've, is. We've made it to the introductory song of of what made me a lifelong dive down the wormhole. A lifelong obsession with Serge Chalice. And this is Body and Soul. Body and Soul off the Boston Blow Up album, recorded in. No, actually, it wasn't recorded in. No, yeah, yeah, it was. It was recorded in um, New York City, April 1955. Just. Three, just just two months after he got released from rehab. So presumably he's clean. He is clean. I mean that by all by all accounts I've read books, internet articles, magazine articles. Oh, he was able to stay clean. Yeah, there wasn't much. There wasn't left much left to do. <laughs> I understand. <that>. <laughs> <laughs> he was clean as of April 1955. Put it Excellent. that way. All right. Thank you. 
and below up put surge back on the map that was quite impressive i don't know if, 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 if we just were like those were the first maybe very quiet songs but just you know his breath control on that really quiet stuff was really impressive yeah when i i mean it seemed like the earlier stuff he was just like playing running yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) it's like runs up and down up and down i i that's why i brought your attention to easy street just the comparison it's a similar type of ballad when he was still high Mm -hmm. and compare the easy street ballad to either of those these are just worlds above easy street as far as tone and feeling and honestly it gives me chills. The body and soul gives me chills now. And when I first heard it, it was just like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Why don't I know who this is? It's... So he was back. And um, the world, I mean, nobody knew who he was anyway, even then. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you were in jazz, you'd know who he was. But There was no internet. No internet. But jazz aficionados knew who he was. Musicians knew who he was. But he didn't really... From what I'm understanding, reading, listening, I watched the YouTube thing a little bit today. Uh, he he didn't get the accolades maybe that he might have should have deserved for for his comeback because people didn't trust him. They they thought that he was a junkie, right? right. So this this Boston blow up, um, body and souls is among jazz aficionados. It's well known. His version of it. The next, his next uh, create creative performance, though, is recognized as one of the classics of, of jazz. It's called, uh, it hit, the LP is called Blue Serge. He was in L.A. and um, he was living there for, for a time being. And he, um, he hooked up with uh, a rhythm section of Leroy Vinegar 
on bass, Sonny Clark on piano, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. Now, those names may not mean much to you, but for for the time, those were that was a killer rhythm section. They had maybe one or two rehearsals, and then they they just put started the tapes running. Um, we're gonna hear two cuts from the Blue Serge album, "Thanks for the Memory." and Stairway to the Stars, recorded in March of 1956. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
Stairway to the Stars. No one knew it at the time, but that was the last session Surge ever led as a leader. That was recorded in March. That last song was recorded on March 16, 1956. Surge was an avid golfer, even through his heroin addiction phase. This it sounds like it sounds like a joke, but but he was an avid golfer. And in May of 1956, he was out on a golf course in L.A. All of a sudden, he had serious back and abdominal pain, and his legs became paralyzed, just out of the blue. He was transported to a hospital, and tests were run, found that he had cancer of the spine. This is the technical term in all the. All of the uh, uh, stuff that I've read and listened to. Cancer of the spine. His brother said he had cancer of the spine. He had lesions on the spine. He went underwent radiation treatment and surgery. They decided that there was really nothing they could do uh, once they opened him up and saw how many lesions he had. They closed him up and said he was going to die. And... Um, that was in May of 1956. In June of 1956, he had been uh, selected as a metronome all-star again, and he recorded the re- he attended the recording session for their their annual metronome all-stars record. Um, he attended it in a wheelchair. He played um, played sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, he continued to recuperate. He he con- he played around Boston during this time as he was, um, you know, in his in the throes of his uh, last illness. Uh, the he in May of 1957 he played his last gig at a club in Boston and he he arrived in a wheelchair and when he wasn't playing he would sit in a wheelchair but when he would play he would stand up and lean against a pillar and he would play and then he would sit down <clears throat> it's what's what I find interesting I everything as a multiple myeloma uh, survivor myself everything I'm reading about what he was going through sounds to me like multiple myeloma he had a tumor tumors on his spine and um, and, and uh, his back became paralyzed these are all things that when I was first diagnosed that that I had I had a huge tumor in my spine they were doctors were freaked out that I was going to become paralyzed at any time uh, treatment obviously is much more advanced now here I am you know several years later still kicking but but there was no such treatment at that time and I don't think they even had a name for it uh, yeah, there's some other there's some other un, unattributed anecdotal discussion a guy on the internet that was a musician in Boston at the time said he believed that maybe Serge had testicular cancer and that he ignored it and it metastasized to his spine. Well, that could be too, but it just sounds like what what interesting. Yeah, <laughs> where does that come from? Well, I mean, he knew him. I don't know. I, I guess if you knew him, yeah, I mean, it was a small group of musicians in Boston that are that were jazz guys playing around, and presumably they would talk to each other. 
but it just sounds an awful lot like what happened to me. That's all, you know. Um, unfortunately, it didn't happen to me in 1957. But on uh, July 50th, well, I'm never going to be in 1957. <laughs> I mean, we can knock on wood if we want. 58. 58, yeah. In July, on July 15th, 1957, he'd, he'd uh, taken a turn for the worse, and he was admitted to the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. He took his horn with him, and uh, they, uh, the staff at the hospital uh, allowed him to go into an empty operating theater, and he, he practiced at, in the empty operating theater, and doctors, nurses, and patients listened to him. The next day, he died in the hospital. He died at the age of 33. His last recording, his last actual recording session was a reunion of the Four Brothers group. It was um, on an album put out on an RCA subsidiary called Vic records the four brothers together again and i've told you to to bear in mind the name al Cohn. al Cohn wrote a a song especially for surge that he played on this record called aged in wood you know with the pun being woody herman of course and surge was in a wheelchair it was recorded on um february 11 1957 just a few months before he died he sounds incredibly strong still at the end. Uh, this will be the last song we play, Aged in Wood by Alcon. Thank you. 
there we have it, the very the, the story of the very short life and career of Serge Chaliff. My, that was quite the pleasure. Thank well, you, Guy. It's been kind of a... Labor of love, I would think. Thank you for indulging me, you and all the 13 listeners. It's been something that I've kind of had in my head as something I'd like to do for, you know, a long time. Even before the show started, I, <laughs> I had, you know, ideas of like, oh, it'd be great to be able to put together a, just like a historical, you know, chronology of Surge music. And, and I've been lucky. I've been able to find a lot of this stuff on 78 and LP. I, there's, I mean, a lot of people, I, 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 this is kind of some of this stuff is pretty rare. Well, I, I feel uh, enlightened. <laughs> now you know who Serge Chaliff I is. Know who Serge Chaliff is. <laughs> It'll come in handy. Uh, and it was very interesting kind of hearing his progression through his career. Right. Uh, you can definitely hear... I mean, you can just feel in your body that that what he had gone through with addiction and coming clean, and he did it did something to him. You could just tell it in his music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, thanks a lot for for hanging out and hanging in, all of you and all of our listeners. <laughs> we thank you, our audience. We very much appreciate you, and I hope you appreciated this education of Search Challenge. Well, hopefully it's not just looked at as an education, but you can listen and enjoy the music as well. And thanks so much. It's been a great time. This is Shellac and Vinyl. I'm Guy. I'm Chip. And we'll be doing it probably back to our regular, regularly scheduled program next time we do one of these. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Signing off.